Hello everyone and welcome to episode number six of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host Gavin Rice and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. I've had some people ask me recently, are you a co-pilot or what's your position? What do you do up there? So I, I figured this episode would be a great chance to answer some of those questions and provide some clarity regarding our titles and duties on the flight deck. As many of you know, there is a captain that sits in the left seat. He or she is what's called the PIC, which stands for Pilot in Command, and has the final authority for the operation and safe outcome of each flight. Then there's me. What I am is a first officer, which is commonly just abbreviated as FO, who is the SIC or second in command and sits in the right seat. So besides the final authority for, for operation and, and safety, what's the difference between the two? Well, from a flying standpoint, there really is not much of a difference at all. Both are fully qualified to operate their aircraft and therefore we've gone away from the terminology of pilot versus co-pilot. The term co-pilot just kind of sounds like there's they're just there to help and they're, and they're not really flying. It kind of makes, makes it not seem like they're a real pilot, you know? So before CRM, which was crew resource management, which uh, became implemented in, in the 1980s, sometimes uh, the pilots in the right seat were told to just sit there and move the gear lever and that's it. Don't touch anything because I'm the captain and, and everything needs to go my way and you do what you're told. This was the, the old mentality. Um, there, there are still some captains with this mindset out there, probably just a few here and there, but because of, of CRM and modern procedures, that's all really changed and, and it's changed the way we think and work together on the flight deck. And that's why the person in the right seat was now coined the first officer instead of just co-pilot. I'd have to research it, but uh, as with many terms in aviation, many of them originated from nautical terms. So the first officer was probably taken from the title first mate, who was typically the second in command on a boat. So I, I, I guess we didn't uh, want to be called mates, which is unfortunate because I'd love to rock that title. But uh, I'll, I'll settle with first officer. At least it does have a nice ring to it. So that's, that's the main difference uh, between the captain and the first officer is, is in terms of a, a chain of command, a leadership aspect, the captain obviously sets the tone and, and is, has all those, those final decisions. And the first officer is there to assist with that. But in terms of a flying standpoint, uh, they actually don't really have much of a difference at all. They're both airline pilots and they're both fully qualified to operate that aircraft. In airline training, I, I remember an instructor telling us the difference between the captain and the FO is that the captain has been at the company longer, and that's it. That, that was the instructor's definition. I will say that this is not always true. The point was that both share equal amounts of responsibility when it comes to the operation and the safety of the flight and, and keeping tabs on the flight attendants and passengers and, and know what's going on. While I mentioned earlier that the captain does in fact have that final authority, this, this point was made to ensure that one pilot isn't above the other just because of their title. Uh, and, and that's why we are always, uh, we're on a first name basis. Uh, things are pretty casual while still maintaining a professional work environment. Uh, 
when, when it comes to passenger announcements, many captains will say that this is your captain so-and-so, and, 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 and that way, you know, when a passenger hears them over, over the, the speakers, you can associate their authority with the voice and, and know when things are serious. Uh, if the captain were to announce something like, I don't know, brace for impact or evacuate, evacuate. In, in fact, one of our checklists uh, for an, an evacuation procedure, the first officer is the one who actually will read that checklist and will say over the intercom, this is the captain, evacuate, evacuate, because you, you just don't want to say over the intercom, this is the first officer, evacuate. I mean, it just might be a little confusing. Everyone knows what a captain is. You know, they're the ones in charge, uh, not everyone knows what the title of first officer is, which I'm hoping with, with listeners who, who tune into this episode will maybe have now an understanding between the two. But, but again, when it comes to emergency procedures and whatnot, uh, we, we always will use that term captain. Again, going back to what my, my one instructor said about captains have been at, uh, at the airline longer, in most cases, particularly at a, a regional airline, the captain has indeed uh, been at the airline longer. Therefore, they, they do have a lot more experience and can offer assistance to a newer first officer. I'll admit there were, were times early on when I was still getting used to the jet and I, I had captains help me set things up or remind me to stow the speed brakes when I forgot. I mean, it happens. And, and that's what makes a, a crew environment really unique and, and great for learning, too. But there are some crew pairings where the captain is is newer than the first officer, um, not as common in the regionals, especially right now with all the, the hiring of first officers we're doing. But on the flip side, I mean, the captain can can even learn things from the first officer, too. And so that's why I'll bring back the, the point from earlier that both pilots are equally qualified to operate the aircraft. One just has that, that final authority, that, that being the captain, and that authority does come with great responsibility. I mean, to, to be a captain, you have to think like a captain. And that means constantly thinking about what-if scenarios. For example, if it's a clear crystal day, typically we will carry enough fuel for our journey, obviously, plus a little bit of reserve fuel. We generally won't account for the possibility of entering a holding pattern because holding is more common with adverse weather conditions at the destination airport. So on that clear day, if we were to receive holding instructions, the captain has to think quickly. You know, we most likely will have enough fuel for one turn in the hold and then we'll have to divert to another airport if we can't continue to our destination. Uh, another example is, is thinking about the flight attendants doing their beverage service and, and the passengers getting up. What about their safety? Constant communication with the flight attendants and, and letting passengers know when it's safe to move about the cabin is another thing a captain will have to think about. And it isn't to say that, that as a first officer, I'm, I'm not thinking about these things uh, at all because I am. And, and that's the responsible thing to do. It's just that the captain has to always be on their toes. And, and think ahead and be able to make decisions. And that's what it really boils down to, is making decisions. And if, if, if someone asks, can we depart because of that inoperable equipment or with the visibility that low, our, our alternate weather minimums, is, is our dispatch release legal? I mean, the captain has to be able to answer all of these questions uh, with regard to safety and the regulations. And it's a lot of pressure to be in that leadership uh, position to be responsible for that many lives on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, it's it's a lot. Uh, I can somewhat relate to it uh, to my time as a flight instructor. I was responsible for the safety of my student and the aircraft. 
And I mean, to, to compare, I mean, what, if our engine fails, where are we going to be landing? If we had an electrical fire, what flow, what procedure am I running to make it out of that situation? Granted, as, as an airline pilot, uh, specifically an airline captain, there, there's way more to account for. There, there's more people, uh, there's, there's more complicated aircraft systems, which could lead to a potential of more things to go wrong with much larger checklists. I mean, we have a giant book called the QRH, the Quick Reference Handbook. It goes through a bunch of our uh, abnormal procedures, and it's it's a lot of information. And, and combining that with your systems knowledge, you, you have to be on top of things so that if something fails, you know, what does that mean? What procedure am I going to run? We have our, our ICAS center screen, which is our engine indicating uh, system, and it, it, it tells us everything that's going on. And, and if something is abnormal, it, it'll give us a message. And given that message, we'll then go to our handbooks and, and figure out, okay, what procedure are we going to run? Uh, a lot of times you'll come into a situation where it's it's something that's just out of the ordinary and you have to really think ahead and you have to think about those systems that you that you learned a long time ago but hopefully over over the years you've been continually keeping up to date with it uh, and that's what makes a good captain a good captain is not not only being a, a people person but just knowing their systems knowing their aircraft and being able to make key decisions not necessarily really split second decisions but thoughtful uh, thoughtful decisions that that will lead to a safe outcome for the flight and that's why we do have these procedures is, is we don't just go pressing buttons and, and doing things just because we think we know the systems we're still gonna run those procedures in order to make sure we, we get out of that situation but again you know what are you calling for as the captain and and a lot of times especially at the regionals you you have a newer first officer who is not as familiar with the aircraft and they're, they're still very new to, to what's going on. And so as a captain, you, you really have to be looking out for, for them as well and, and accounting for that. So it's, it's just, it's pretty interesting to grasp the true meaning of being a captain. It's, it's a position of, of great responsibility and it, it's a title I, I, hope to achieve sometime in the future whether or not that's that's here at a regional or if i do decide to move on to a major or legacy airline and you know i'll spend my time in the right seat as a first officer and, and then I, I definitely want to upgrade to captain because it's it's something that i strive for uh, being in that leadership position and having that responsibility the key is that for many you, you don't have to you really do not have to uh, there's plenty of fulfillment staying in the right seat. It's it's a great job where the, the benefits, you're still getting paid pretty well. <laughs> you don't have the same responsibility that a captain has, but you can still think like a captain. You can really help uh, help the captain, work with the captain and, and get the job done in, in a professional way and, and have a good time doing it. I mean, <laughs> sitting in the right seat in, in any aircraft at a major airline, let alone a, a wide body, a 777 or a 787, whatever it might be, it, <laughs> There's, uh, in many cases, there's no reason to upgrade uh, because th the pay is really good and, and your quality of life might be really good too. And, and so many people will choose never to upgrade at the airlines once they make it to their dream airline, and that's perfectly fine. Um, for me, I definitely have my sights on, on becoming a captain, like I said, but, but it's not for everyone. And that's what's really key is, is that no one should ever feel pressured that they have to be a captain um, because being an airline pilot... 
is is just that you're either in the right or the left seat again like i said i'll, I'll reiterate once more that that both pilots are fully qualified to operate that aircraft i don't remember what year it came about but the regulations uh for the in the united states have now required that all airline pilots are pic type rated so pilot and command type rated so everyone is rated the same way in that from a legal standpoint they can operate that aircraft as a pilot in command uh, when it comes to actually upgrading to captain, you have to go through that upgrade training at your airline and, and then do do a check ride and uh, and, and eventually have uh, what's called a line check with with an FAA uh, inspector and, and go through all that procedure. But but from a, a legal standpoint, in terms of the training purposes, every airline pilot is trained to the same level that you are rated uh, to be a pilot in command of that aircraft. Uh, and, and that requirement came out because it, it was there to, to enhance safety. If you increase the, the training requirements, that will hopefully end up with less and less accidents. And it's, it's proven just that. Uh, I mean, in the airlines, uh, in the Part 121, which is a section of the regulations that we operate under here, here in the United States, airlines are incredibly safe. Um, I mean, there's... You'll probably hear people say that it's way more dangerous to drive your car to the airport than it is to get involved with with an accident in an airplane, and that's that's absolutely true. It really is. I mean, the the statistics are there uh, that flying in the airlines and, and and being on any flight, it's it's very safe, and there's reasons for that. We go through this intense training, and we are all rated to be pilot in command, even though we do, of course, split that into a, a captain and a first officer. When it comes to flying the actual airplane, the captain and first officer are doing the same thing. The really only main difference is, is being a, a mirrored use of the hands. Obviously, if you're in the left seat as a captain, the left hand is on the control column, the, the yoke or the stick, whatever the aircraft is, and the right hand is on the throttles. And in the right seat as a first officer, it's the opposite. Uh, your right hand is on the control column and the left hand is on the throttles. The only other difference is that depending on the aircraft, most of these airliners, uh, only the captain in the left seat can taxi the airplane. Um, or or I, sh I guess I should elaborate. Only the captain can make any of those required sharp cornered turns. So uh, on a lot of jets, including the Embraer 170 that I fly, in the right seat, I, I can technically taxi from my seat using my rudder pedals to engage the nose wheel steering but this will only give me about seven degrees of turning authority. So on straight taxiways or, or slight curves, it's, it's definitely doable, and, I, and I've done it a couple times. But if we need to make a hard 90 degree left or right turn, I wouldn't be able to do it. So on the captain's side, on the left, there is something called a tiller, which is just like on a sailboat. Uh, a tiller engages the steering to turn that nose wheel whatever amount is demanded from the input. So it, I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, looking outside as a, as a plane pushes off from the gate and then turns around or makes a turn onto a taxiway. Next time you're at an airport, take a look and see how impressive that these fairly big jets can make a sharp turn because that nose wheel will turn almost 90 degrees and you'll just see the whole nose swing around and it, and it can just pivot really well. Uh, so it's, it's pretty impressive. And again, you're able to do that because of that tiller on board uh, on the left side, the captain's able to swing that around. So uh, at least on the Embraer that I fly, there's no tiller on the right side. I think some jets do have tillers on both sides, uh, but generally speaking, the captain is always the one who is operating the aircraft on the ground 
and the first officer is in charge of the radios for the most part. Again, each airline might differ a little bit, but for the most part, that's usually, usually how it works. But other than taxiing, both pilots will fly the plane. Each trip we go on has, uh, it's what we call a pairing, which is just the makeup of the crew uh, to include the flight attendants. And as pilots, we'll take turns flying each leg. So let's say on a one certain day, we have four legs in a day. And generally speaking, captains, most of the captains I've flown with, they like to take the first leg. Uh, other times I've seen them do rock, paper, scissors to decide who flies first. And then each leg will just swap who flies. Sometimes uh, with repeating airports, like if we're doing turns, if we're going, I don't know, let's say Boston to LaGuardia, LaGuardia back to Boston, Boston to LaGuardia, you know, if you're doing a lot of back and forth, uh, we'll switch things up so that we don't do landings or takeoffs at the same airport more than once in a day. That way you're not, you know, doing, this, like, like I said, that way you're not just doing multiple takeoffs at the same airport. You're, you're switching things up a little bit so that it doesn't get uh, as boring. You're not doing the same approach over and over again. So, so sometimes we'll, we'll change things up like that. It's, it's never standard at all. There's no rule about it. In fact, I've, I've heard of, of some pairings where uh, the first, I, I think it was, yeah, it was, this, it was a story that a, a captain was telling me. He said, yeah, there was this one guy, he, he really wanted to fly every single leg. And I said, all right, I'll fly the first and the last leg of the entire trip. Now, this was like a, a four or five day trip with multiple legs each day. So the captain flew the, the first leg on the first day and the last leg on the last day. And then the, the first officer flew all the other legs. So sometimes we can do that as long as each pilot keeps up with their currency, which this might sound pretty crazy, but we are only required to have three takeoffs and landings within the preceding 90 days. So three months, we only need three takeoffs and landings. So it's, it's not that often that we actually need to complete these landings. So in that situation, that first officer was was very current. <laughs> he did probably 12 landings over the course of a few days, but uh, so, but for the most part, again, we'll we'll usually we'll usually switch things off. So the person who is actively flying that leg is called the PF or pilot flying. Their duties are are pretty straightforward. They fly the plane. Many people think we just fly on autopilot all the time. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. In fact, there, there's a stat I learned back in, in college. Uh, the statistics said that I think only about 7% of each leg is manually flown with the autopilot off. So yeah, we, we do spend a lot of time letting the plane do its own thing. And there are actually altitudes that we're required to have the, the autopilot on anyway. Um, between uh, well, once we get above, uh, at or above 29,000 feet, we start getting into uh, an area of altitudes where um, the, our national airspace system will will try and, in order to accommodate more, more aircraft, we will separate them vertically by only 1,000 feet. And this is, this is called RVSM, Reduced Vertical Separation Minima, and without getting too far in depth, uh, because of the equipment we have on board, uh, one of them being the autopilot, as long as that's engaged, we will be passing over and under aircraft that are only a thousand feet above or below us. And it's actually, it's pretty interesting to see on, on the flight deck, you'll be looking outside and air traffic control might make a, a, a traffic report for you. Say, hey, uh, you know, there's traffic 12 o'clock, Boeing 737. Uh, it's two miles opposite direction and a thousand feet above you. And uh, you'll tell them, yeah, okay, we're, we got traffic in sight or negative contact, whatever it might be. Uh, but, but if we do have it in sight, we'll, we'll see that 
jet coming and it'll pass right over us. And, and even though it is a thousand feet above or, or below you, it's, it's pretty weird how close it looks. Um, so again, that, that, uh, the ability to do that to space like that is, is because of the autopilot. So in a lot of situations, we're actually required to have the autopilot on. So that's primarily why only 7% of, of each leg is, is actually flown with the autopilot off. On, on the Embraer jet, we refer to the autopilot as George. So anytime we see the, the vertical navigation profile, uh, sometimes it, it, the, the database or, or the, the computer, it's, it's, it's recalculating our, our descent profile and, and it might take a little dip um, and then and catch back up with the, the profile again. I'm, I'm, I might blurt out like, come on, George, what, what are you doing? Or George, what, what's going on? Um, I, I seem to remember, I think on the Airbus, it's, uh, I flew the Airbus in my initial um, airline certification course, and uh, I think they called it Fifi, if I remember correctly. But uh, it, a lot of these aircraft have a, a different name for the autopod that we'll, we'll kind of talk to sort of so to speak um you know as if to say oh yeah what are you what are you doing what's going on this might sound a little disconcerting i guess but but this is just this is our job is is we're we're having to monitor our systems and, and make sure that just because the autopilot is flying the aircraft does not mean we are not flying the aircraft again as pilot flying we fly the plane if the autopilot's flying the plane we're making sure that the autopilot is flying the plane correctly how we've told it to and if it's not we intervene sometimes you know it on the uh, a lot of the times on the arrivals or, or even the departures uh, but, but i've noticed it more on the arrivals i'll i'll kind of gauge when the autopilot is going to decide when it's going to start slowing down in order to meet the crossing restrictions on the arrival. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, all right, we're 12 miles out from this fix and it's now not going slow enough and we need to slow down. So then I, I switch over to manual speeds and I control it myself instead of letting uh, the, the flight management system do it for me. So there, there's situations like that where it's, yes, it's the autopilot is flying the plane, but we have to program it. We have to tell it what to do. And, and we're constantly watching everything and, and cross-checking all of our instruments to ensure we're, you know, again, like, like an arrival, we're on the correct airspeed, we're on the right altitude, uh, on the right course or heading. And I, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've actually had people ask me this. I, I think a lot of people think there's a, just a go button that we press and then, uh, and then the plane goes and it goes from, you know, Boston to LaGuardia. It just gets there. But no, there's, that's not how it works. There's, there's a lot of programming and setting up when it comes to flying. And so for us, the autopilot is much just, it's just like a cruise control on your car. Uh, it's an aid so that it, you know, like in your car, it's an aid so it can give your foot a break, but you still have to watch your blind spots. You still have to apply the brakes when needed and you have to get off at the appropriate exit. And it's the same idea. And I mean, you're starting to have more of these cars with, with autopilots of their own where they're able to stay in the lane, but you can't fully trust that. You still have to be in control of, of what's going on. And so, I, you know, there, there's the whole discussion of when are we going to have airplanes that, that fly themselves, you know, from point A to point B, unmanned aircraft. And it's the technology is definitely starting to get there, but I think it's going to take a long time because from a flying standpoint, you know, if one system fails, if you don't have a person there to, to back it up, it's it's just a whole different ballgame. So I'll leave that up to, to the listeners to decide whether or not unmanned aircraft is a good idea or not. But uh, for me, for my sake of my job, I'd, I'd appreciate if, if 
us pilots stayed employed instead of handing it over to computers. But, you know, from a, a management perspective of an airline, uh, from a cost analysis, it's very costly to, to pay for pilots to fly the airplane. And if you had a computer do all of it, that would be great. So again, the, the technology, it's, it's being developed. You have a lot more programs going on. I mean, UPS, Amazon, there, there's different companies who are, are making these drones that will deliver your packages. I mean, it's, it's insane the, how, how much technology has advanced even in just the past few years. But it, it's going to be a while before that translates into passenger airlines because there's just too much at stake. You know, if one computer has one little blip, that's 200 lives at stake. You know, it's, it's, it's just too much of a risk. So once the, the checks and balances of, of, in terms of risk mitigation and in terms of, you know, is this really a viable option compared to having two pilots that are, are there uh, to monitor all the systems, it's, it's going to be a long time before we go to a fully automated uh, setup. I, I have a feeling it'll be well after my lifetime that that does change, at least at least it should stay until I retire so that I can keep my job. <laughs> so anyway, I, I talked about the the pilot flying or the, the PF. And, and again, if, if the autopilot's on, they're there, they're monitoring it. Um, but then what is the other pilot doing that, that's not flying the aircraft? So they are called the PM or pilot monitoring. And it's it's spelled out pretty simply too. The PM is, is just monitoring everything, uh, especially if the PF is looking outside on the takeoff and landing. And oftentimes when things get, get complicated, things get busy with lots of, of heading or altitude changes or, or last minute runway or arrival switches, the, the pilot monitoring will help program the flight management system uh, in, in order to, to help the, the pilot flying so that they, they can concentrate on just flying the airplane and, and making sure that, oh, we're, we are in fact slowing down, we're, we're deploying the flaps, we're getting set up. Because if you're having to do all of that while you're also uh, trying to load up approach plates and load in approaches, it's it gets it gets really busy. Uh, things happen very fast on a jet, so having two people to kind of balance that workload it it helps things out a lot. In fact, sometimes things can get so crazy uh, that that trying to tell the autopilot to do something specific can be too much work. Uh, so as the pilot flying, we might just click the autopilot off and hand fly. Uh, until things settle down. I mean, it, at the end of the day, we're all pilots, and sometimes we just need to grab the controls and be in control of the situation and click all the automation off, get reset, have the pilot monitoring, set everything up for us, and then if we decide to, you know, put, put the autopilot back on. But sometimes things just get a little too complicated, and the last thing you want to do is get behind the aircraft where, you know, your brain is a few miles behind you, but, you know, you're getting ready to land, and... You know, there, there's a flow going in. Air traffic control is, they're not, they don't know what's going on up there. Uh, if, if you're, you know, struggling to, to keep up with the airplane, they're, they have all their arrivals to deal with. And so if you're, if you're behind, I mean, that's, that's going to cause some issues. So that's where that, that CRM, that crew resource management really comes into play, where if the pilot flying needs to click off the automation, the, the pilot monitoring, their workload does increase, but they're able to help that pilot flying, again, set everything up with, with new setting, new speeds, altitudes, headings, activating approaches, you know, just to do, to, to name a few things. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff to, to help them out. Additionally, the pilot monitoring is also in charge of handling the radios. As I mentioned earlier, the, the captain at my company is the one who's pilot flying on the ground. They're, they're the only ones who are taxiing. So therefore, us first officers will be the ones on the radios uh, as the ones monitoring. 
occasionally, um, well, I guess at a lot of busier airports, so more often than not, actually, uh, at some of the, the busier airports, when we're looking for our gate assignments or, or just checking in to, to see if we can get cleared into our ramp, uh, we'll, we'll split the radios. So the, the first officers will, will usually switch over to the ramp frequency to, to check in to see if we can get cleared in, if, if our if our gate assignment is available, and the, the captain will remain on the ground frequency since they're the ones who are taxiing the aircraft, they should be listening to that ground frequency. Once we figure out our gate situation, if we've been cleared in or not, uh, as the first officer, I'll, I'll switch back to ground and then, and then take that back over. So again, when that way the captain, for the most part, kind of just like flying in the air, the pilot flying needs to be concentrated on, on flying the aircraft. So same thing on the ground, they need to be concentrated on, on wing clearance and, and just avoiding other aircraft and vehicles and personnel on, on the ground. So the, the first officer will, will generally be on the radios when we're on the ground. If you remember earlier, I had I was talking about the, the old captain mindset uh, before CRM came to play where it was the, this, this mindset of you just sit there and, and move the gear lever. That's all you do as, as the guy in the right seat. Uh, well, that is actually one of the duties that the pilot monitoring will do is operate the gear lever, which I, I will add is, is kind of an awesome feeling. I mean, flying the jet overall is, is so much fun. But when I grab that lever and, and swing it into the, the up or down position, I, I kind of feel powerful. I, I, I get to hear the, the thousands of pounds of hydraulic pressure move some giant legs and wheels and, and move them into the, the up or, or down locked position. It, it, it kind of brings me back to working on a farm and using the front end loader or, or a backhoe on my mom's Kubota tractor. It's, it's just too much fun. You, you just have so much power. And uh, I think that's one of the, the big leaps I've noticed uh, going from flying a small Cessna to this technically technically smaller airliner, but it, it's still huge and, and heavy, and, and it's just awesome. I mean, I, I get to move the yoke and tell this 80,000-pound hunk of metal what to do, and it, it'll never get old for me. Additionally, the pilot monitoring will also make passenger announcements. I remember just uh, this past summer, I made a, a top-of-climb announcement when we had uh, that supermoon, I think it was in July or August, I can't remember exactly when, but uh, I, I said something like, hey, folks from the flight deck, uh, we've reached our cruising altitude of 34,000 feet. It's a fairly smooth ride, so the seatbelt sign is coming off. Just a friendly reminder that while you're seated, please keep that seatbelt fastened in case we do encounter any rough air. If you're on the right side of the aircraft, take a look outside. There's some sort of supermoon event going on, I believe. It's just a beautiful night tonight. Anyway, we have about an hour and 10 minutes until we're on the ground at LaGuardia. So that, that's just an example of, of one of the announcements I'll make. But regarding the, the announcement about the moon, it was, it was kind of funny because after we deplaned from that flight, one of the flight attendants asked me, what, what the heck was I saying that made all the passengers open their windows? And I thought that was pretty funny because uh, generally speaking, the, the flight attendants, they have their cues. They, they, they have specific announcements that they'll listen to from us. But a lot of the times they're, they're busy doing their service. Uh, and so they're not listening to all the mumbo jumbo we're talking about if it's a smooth ride or not. Um, but she was, uh, she had told me that she's like, what, what did you say? Cause I, I had no idea. I wasn't listening to your announcement, but you said something that made them, that made them all lift their window shades in the middle of the night. And I thought that was funny. So, <laughs> um, you can tell, I, I, I really enjoy making those announcements. I mean, I, I know many people are, are not a fan of doing it, but I, I love knowing that my voice is booming over the, the passenger address speakers, and I'm, I'm probably disturbing your nap or movie, but for me, it's, it's a fun thing to do. So hopefully that's a, a fairly clear description. Uh, 
to differentiate the, the captain and the FO and, and what our duties are when we're flying and, and when we're not flying. Most of this is, is based on conversations I've had with people. It's, it's not exactly common knowledge. And it, it seems that based on these few questions I've gotten from people, it's, there's a misunderstanding of, of our official titles as pilots and, and what our duties are. And it, it can be kind of complicated. Uh, but my goal is to, to make that concept easy to understand. And, then, and that's why I'm making these fun podcasts for, for you all to listen to and learn from. And, and I know I'm sure a lot of my listeners are already pilots in the airlines. Um, but, I, you know, just, just to reach out to any of my other listeners and to the aspiring aviators that it, just any kind of information like this, it's kind of fun. Because uh, I remember way back uh, when I started flying, I, I didn't understand the differences between a captain and first officer. I, I didn't know what a regional airline was compared to a legacy, a major airline. I mean, there, there were so many things I don't know. And there's so many things I'm still learning day to day. So that, again, is, is the whole point of this, this podcast and this episode. And, and I just want to share that all with you. Anyway, that concludes this week's episode of Cleared for Takeoff. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next week. I'm going to talk about a behind-the-scenes look, a whole full-flight look at, at kind of what happens, what we do on the job. So stay tuned for next week, and until then, as always, fly safe.